Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Hello and welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are glad that you were able to join us today. Our call to worship this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 30. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and on rolling the scroll he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Doctor, Heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that today we might be instructed by your spirit, that we might be led. Help us to understand what we read. Help us to grow in our faith, in our walk, in our relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God had a secret. It wasn't a bad secret, but it was a mystery for a very long time. God had a secret plan. Occasionally, he would drop hints through his prophets, but it's questionable whether even they knew what it was all about. To accomplish his plan, God chose a nation to work through. God chose Israel to carry out instrumental details of his plan. Sometimes they acted obediently. Often they were rebellious. 
In the end, it didn't matter because even in rebellion, they unwittingly carried out God's plan. What was this deep, secret plan? God's plan was to redeem all the nations of humanity and reconcile them to himself through Jesus Christ. Listen to some of the hints he dropped through the words of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10, there's a prophecy concerning the Messiah. As a matter of fact, all of these references that I'll read from the prophet Isaiah concern the promised Messiah, or Christ. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Uh, dropping down to the bottom of that passage, on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 7. Again, we'll just read a couple, a couple parts of this passage. This is my servant, speaking of the Messiah. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Again in Isaiah chapter 51, verses 4 through 5. Pay attention to me, my people, and listen to me, my nation. For instruction will come from me, and my justice for a light to the nations. I will bring it about quickly. My righteousness is near, my salvation appears, and my arms will bring justice to the nations. Uh, there, my arms is almost certainly a reference to Messiah. The coasts and islands will put their hope in me, and they will look to my strength. Isaiah picks it up again in the next chapter, Isaiah 52, 9 and 10. Be joyful, rejoice together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed his holy arm. Again, there's a reference to the Messiah as the arm of the Lord. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Dropping down to verses 14 and 15 in the same chapter, Isaiah says, Just as many were appalled at you, speaking again of the Messiah, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being, so he will sprinkle many nations. Here it talks about the blessings of Messiah being extended to the nations. A few more to look at. Isaiah 56, verse 7. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to your shining brightness. And then in Isaiah 66, verse 23, at the close of Isaiah's prophecies, this point is made. All humanity 
will come to worship me. Now, I know that was a lot to take in in a very short period of time, but I hope you were able to pick up this refrain, this thread that ran through the entire warp and woof of the fabric, and, and it was this, that the Messiah, that the Christ, was going to be the one to bring all nations back to the Father. It had always been God's design to redeem all peoples and reconcile all humanity to himself. Israel had been an instrumental part of that plan. God had chosen Israel, not to the exclusion of all other nations, but rather for the blessing of all other nations. Today, I want to show you from Luke's gospel that Jesus clearly understood his father's plan to redeem the nations, and he worked to implement it from the very beginning of his ministry. It's not something that was an afterthought. The nations were in view from the very beginning. This was part of God's deep plan. In Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus commissioning 12 apostles or ambassadors to go to the house of Israel, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Let's turn there right now. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll drop down to verse 10. Summoning the 12, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. Now, we have to turn to a parallel account of this event. We have to turn to Matthew's account for one little detail that's going to help us out. Matthew's account is found in the 10th chapter of his gospel. And we don't need to read the whole passage because most of it is exactly the same. But Matthew includes this little detail in chapter 10, verse 5. I want to read it to you. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions. He said, Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, to the nations, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This was a mission, a mission to Israel, calling all Israel, even without Matthew's added detail a lot of readers would still be able to pick up this messaging. Jesus had appointed how many apostles or ambassadors to go represent him? That's right, 12. 12 is a number that signals Israel. Israel had 12 tribes. Jesus sends out 12 representatives to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a mission to the house of Israel. Now we'll turn to Luke chapter 10 to see what the next mission was all about. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20 is the entire section. However, it won't be necessary to read the whole passage. We're just going to look at the first verse. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 
72 others. I should pause here and say, after what? After the 12 had returned and reported to Jesus everything that had happened on their mission to Israel. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, some manuscripts have 72, others give it as 70, and we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But now the Lord is starting a new mission. He appoints 72 or 70 and sends them ahead of him. The messaging here is subtle, and it's easily missed, but the number of representatives that Jesus sent is the key to understanding this message. Jewish readers of that day would have picked right up on it. We, of course, we have to be shown. The number 70, or 72, depending on which manuscripts are consulted, would instantly signal a mission to the nations of humanity. How so? We have to go nearly all the way back to the beginning, to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 10, we are given a record of Noah's sons and all their descendants. These descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth were understood to be the progenitors, the fathers of the nations of mankind that were dispersed at the Tower of Babel. I'll read just the first and last verses of Genesis chapter 10. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Dropping down to the last verse of that chapter, verse 32, after the long record is given, it says, These are the clans of Joseph's, or I'm sorry, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their family records, in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. If we would have read through the entire record there in Genesis chapter 10, want to guess how many nations are listed there in that chapter? That's right, 70 or 72, depending which manuscript you consult. Incidentally, the discrepancy between 70 and 72 is easily explained. Hebrew manuscripts record 70 nations in Genesis 10, while the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, called the Septuagint, makes a division on a couple of those in the list, resulting in a list of 72 it's not a contradiction at all. It's merely a translational issue. And then that gets reflected in our English translations. So some of you may be reading 70, some of you 72. But 72 nations of mankind spread out over the earth from the Tower of Babel incident. Now in Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus sending out 72 representatives after having sent out 12 to Israel only. The messaging is clear. Jesus intends to reach all nations of humanity with the good news of God's kingdom. And that leads us back to the passage from our call to worship earlier, Luke chapter 4, to a little synagogue where Jesus has just read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, and the people in attendance here in his hometown synagogue have quite a reaction. Let's have a look at it once again. 
Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to, him, said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Dr. Heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your own hometown also. He also said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. And yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. And we know the rest of the story. They drove him out of the town, and they attempted to throw him over the edge of the hill. Jesus had confronted some hometown hostility. But we might ask, what was the fuss all about? Their initial reaction to what he was saying seemed to be positive and approving before it turned into violent hostility. But was it? Verse 22, it says, they were all speaking well of him. Speaking well, it could also be translated speaking against. So what was it? Were they speaking well of him or speaking against him? Let's look a little bit further. It says, they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Amazed. In some places, though, this word carries the, a negative idea of uh, being outraged, as in when the Pharisees were amazed that Jesus' disciples were eating with unwashed hands. They weren't amazed in a good way. They were outraged. They didn't like it one bit. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said. That, too, could be taken a couple different ways. They could be saying... Isn't this Joe's boy? His dad would be so proud. Or they could be saying, who does this guy think he is? He's just the carpenter's kid. Who is he to say these things? It seems that they may have already been put off by something and were speaking against him, outraged at his gracious words. Who does he think he is? If they were put off by something, what was it? What had Jesus said? Well, it seems to me it had more to do, I think, with what Jesus hadn't said. In reading from Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, Jesus had cut the passage short. He had left something out. What did Jesus leave out? 
Maybe that's a clue to why this hometown crowd had become so hostile. Let's take a look at Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, and read the entire passage. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where Jesus cut it off. But there was more. Let's continue in the passage, the rest of Isaiah 61, verse 2. And the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. Hmm. Jesus had left something out. Jesus had left out the very part that they thought was absolutely essential, perhaps. He had left out vengeance. Vengeance against whom? Israel's enemies the nations of mankind who were not chosen like Israel was, that, after all, is what Messiah would do, they thought. He would level the nations and bring them into submission to Israel. That would be a comforting thing indeed. Or so they thought. To take this passage of Isaiah, which was a very clear prophecy concerning the Messiah, and cut it off that way? Well, it was simply unacceptable to them. It was a deliberate provocation. It was a cowboy movie that ends before the big gunfight at high noon. The hometown crowd didn't take kindly to Jesus signaling that the arrival of the Messiah was good news for all peoples because this didn't fit their concept of what Messiah was supposed to do. They expected Messiah to be a liberating king of Israel who would crush all of Israel's enemies and bring all other peoples under the heel of the Jews. In their paradigm, the arrival of Messiah would be good news for Jews precisely because it would be bad news for everybody else. They knew the Old Testament texts. They were very familiar with the Isaiah 61 passage that Jesus had read aloud. And they didn't like what he did with it. They were waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it didn't. Imagine sitting there that day. This man who has been acclaimed to be a prophet, mighty in word and in deed, has just read a messianic text and proclaimed it to be fulfilled by himself. But he leaves out the best part. Where's the vengeance? What about the vengeance? They're saying. Then he proceeds to rub their noses in it by reminding them of occasions in the Old Testament where the God of Israel saved Gentiles and judged rebellious Israelites. Oh, it was more than their pride was willing to take. Jesus had been speaking some gracious words, and they didn't like it. They didn't care for it. Not one little bit. He was reinventing, so they thought, what Messiah would be all about. And then he was rubbing their noses in it. Jesus had called them out and indicated that if they thought that they really wanted the vengeance part, they might want to think again. 
He sent a clear message to his listeners that he was the long-awaited Messiah and that he was bringing very good news. But it wasn't going to work out the way that they thought it would. The nations, the nations would be included in the good news, along with Israel. What about the day of God's vengeance that Isaiah had talked about? Oh, it was coming. And that wasn't going to work out the way they wanted it to either. If they didn't change course and get on the right side of the Savior, they were going to find themselves on the wrong side of God's righteous judge. John the baptizer had warned them earlier. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 and 16 through 17. John said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance, and don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. John's message to them had been clear. Trust the Messiah and receive the Spirit. Reject him and receive the fire of judgment. Don't try to trust in anything else to save you. Not even the thing that you place the most confidence in, he said to his crowd. Your Jewishness as descendants of Abraham, your chosenness as the people of Israel, not even that can save you from what's coming. Receive him as Savior or know him as judge. Wow, sobering words that John had spoken. But you know what? This is how it remains today. The message really hasn't changed all that much. It's vitally important for you and me to be on the right side of the Savior that God has provided for all humanity. Frankly, there's nothing more important than this. Humble yourself and receive forgiveness. Draw near to God through the only Savior he has provided. Draw near to God through confident trust in Jesus Christ. Those who will not receive him as Savior will assuredly know him as judge. And I assure you, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So be reconciled to God through confident trust in Jesus Christ today. This was part of God's plan all along. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you had a secret, you had a top secret plan from the very beginning that you would rescue all the nations and bring them to yourself through faith 
in Jesus Christ. We thank you for Israel, how you used Israel to carry out your plan, your mission. But we thank you that you included all of us, all the nations, into your plan. And through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, what he has done for us, his death upon the cross to pay the awful price of our sins, his burial and resurrection from the dead, the gift of your spirit, it's through him we can draw near to you. We thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only unique son. None need perish. All may draw near to you through faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that none who hear this message would fall short of that, but that all would enter in to that life-saving relationship with you through the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, my friends, it's my privilege to say to you, may the grace and peace of God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Spirit be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever. <music>